was Lonesome Fiddle Blues, performed by 2010 National Heritage Fellow, Jim Texas Shorty Chancellor. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Jim Chancellor, or Texas Shorty as he's more commonly known, is one of the masters of Texas-style fiddling. Born in Dallas in 1943, Jim was something of a child star, playing the mandolin with his brother Alan over KTER radio by the age of nine. He was the shorty of the Texas Allen Shorty Show. In his teens, he met the great Texas fiddler, Benny Thomason. He found a teacher in Thomason as well as a new instrument. Shorty picked up a fiddle and never looked back. If you fiddle in Texas, then you participate in the famous Texas Fiddle Contests. Shorty became the youngest fiddler to win the world championship. He then proceeded to become the second fiddler in the history of the event to win the contest three consecutive times. Shorty spent years interviewing traditional musicians and researching performances in order to learn the subtleties of past Texas fiddlers. His arrangements of old-time fiddle tunes have had an impact on fiddlers of all ages, and he's played with some of the best, including Thomason, Eck Robertson, John Hartford, and most recently, Mark O'Connor. In 2010, Jim, Texas Shorty Chancellor, was given an NEA National Heritage Fellowship. I spoke with Texas Shorty soon after he was told about his award. I began our conversation by asking him to talk about the role music played in his childhood home. There were five in our family, three brothers and two sisters. We all had an interest in music, but mostly the boys. Uh, the girls uh, loved music, but they didn't play music. So uh, that was what we did. Didn't have television, didn't have all the other entertainment features that we have now. So we sat around and played music, and that was kind of what got me started, I think, probably. Now, your dad loved music, did he, he not? He loved it. He, he loved it, and he would have loved to have been in the professional music business, but uh, it just it worked out. It didn't didn't happen. He actually he had a real nice voice, but you know sometimes with uh, big families you just don't get to do sometimes the things that you want to do. So he got some success kind of through me and my brothers. He got to have a little bit of that dream through us. Now you started off on the mandolin. I started off on the mandolin, which is as you know a very Similar in noting, the tuning is the same as a fiddle. My dad brought a mandolin and a guitar home. He was kind of a trader, and so uh, he told my brother and I, well, whichever instrument you choose, well, you can have it. So as it turned out, I picked the mandolin, and, and Alan picked the guitar, and so we started trying to learn. That's how it started. Did your dad teach you, or how did that work? He did, but you know, the first tune I picked out on the mandolin, my mother taught me, and it was Buffalo Gal was the tune, and she hummed it to me, and I found those notes on the mandolin. My dad did teach us a lot about music, and so everybody had part in our, our learning. You ended up on the radio. That's how you became Texas Shorty. Yes. My brother, Alan, was older and taller than I, and I was... Uh, little short round kid so my dad came up with an idea we would call ourselves Texas Owl and Shorty so <laughs> we lived in this little community in the edge of Dallas 
So we played in the community music programs, and then finally we went over to a little town called Terrell, Texas, where they had a radio station. And back then you could actually purchase radio time. So we bought 15 minutes, and it was the Texas Allen Shorty Show. <laughs> so that's how we did it, and uh, we did that for a few years. And then uh, Allen got older, and he decided to go out and seek his fortune, and it just left me. So without Texas Al, it was just Texas Shorty. Do you remember the first radio show? I was terrified. It's kind of interesting me sitting here talking to you because when I had that radio show I wouldn't have been able to have said a word I was so terrified in fact they would joke with me the staff would be in Texas Al and his silent partner Shorty <laughs> <laughs> so what happened when Al left did you have to start talking I had to and my dad coached me on how to talk what to say so I started practicing and uh, sure enough it it worked out okay and then we played different places and he played the guitar with me and uh, we traveled a lot we played in a lot of fiddle contests that's kind of the forum for for fiddlers is fiddle contest how did you get to the fiddle okay when i was 13 my dad met a man named benny thomason who lived in the mid-cities dallas and fort worth and benny had just won the world's champion fiddle contest and when Dad met him, he was so excited about because Benny was such a fabulous musician. And so I met him. And when that happened, I realized I wanted to be a fiddle player because he played such nice music. And uh, so then I laid my mantle down pretty much and uh, started playing the fiddle. And then, of course, through Benny, he played in all the contests as well. And so I met, over the years, hundreds of old-time fiddlers that I learned from. And of course, in those days, most of the tunes were not written. They weren't transcribed like they are now. We have a great uh, abundance of, of fiddle music that's been written down. And so now people that want to learn an old tune, they can usually find the written music to it. But then that wasn't the case. So you almost had to learn it from the person who could play it. So that's how I learned. Uh, so it was literally a tradition exactly. truly handed down. Absolutely, it surely was. Now talk about Benny Thomason, because he is quite a name he, in Texas fiddling, isn't oh, he? Oh, he was, and uh, some have asked me, was he the father of Texas fiddling? And I would say he was almost the father, but there were some others in there who were contributed. But Benny was, well, first of all, the interesting, he was a, a car repairman, a body man, paint and body shop. That was his occupation, but he loved music. He loved fiddle music, and uh, he was a, an incredible innovator. And he was so gentle and so shy about his talent that you, you'd never hear him brag about what he could do. But he was a giant and uh, just one of those musical geniuses that chose to remain almost anonymous except for the people that he influenced. Can you explain what makes... Texas fiddling distinctive? How is it different? Okay. If you go back to the roots of fiddling, you find a lot of it's associated with dancing. And so many of the old-time fiddle players played with a lot of rhythm in their style because the dancers needed that. And so it was kind of repetitious and lots of rhythm. 
Well, when dancing became not as prevalent in that field, people were playing the old-time fiddle tunes, but they just kind of were simple little melodies that were just kind of over and over and over. And so what Benny did, and now has been labeled the Texas style, he took the old tunes that were simple melodies and he embellished them. And his goal was to make them interesting, you know, keep the identity of the tune. If he played like the old tune Sally Gooden, Billy in the Low Ground, both of them are very simple melodies, you would know it was those tunes, but you would be so entertained by all the ornaments he put in in the music. So that was one distinctive part of his playing. And the other I use when I have a class, I usually use the example of the modern word pixels, which (laughs) I'm using in my Scrabble games now. But what I think Benny did was he added pixels to the tunes so that they sounded more flowing and more feathered the edges, so to speak, that all the the sounds of it was uh, very beautiful and more of a listening piece than a dancing piece, maybe. That's what he taught you to do. He did. So what if we hear you playing Billy in the Low Ground? Does that seem like a good idea? Yeah, that's Okay, Jim, tell us what we just heard. Okay, now that was the old uh, tune, Billy in the Low Ground. I think I recorded that maybe back in the 80s sometime or another. But the old tune is a real simple melody, but every time I repeated the melody, I would do it a little differently. And so that's kind of what I got from Benny. You know, in some ways, there are some similarities to it in jazz uh, because the uh, jazz players always embellishing the melody. So you would rarely hear the same way twice. So that's that's what I got from Benny. Let me ask you, you mentioned earlier that contests, fiddle contests, are really, really important for Texas fiddling. Yes. Describe that. What happens in a contest? How does it work? Okay, the contests usually have a panel of judges, typically three to five. The fiddlers prefer to have a fiddler judge them. So uh, that's what they'll usually pick. And many times, if there weren't a lot of people participating, they have to have one age group judge the other age group. Like if the young players might judge the old-timers, and the old-timers likewise judge the young. 
So they would ask that you play at least two styles, one a waltz, and they ask you to play uh, an old-time fiddle tune. And what they're looking for is to see how broad your skill level is. Sometimes somebody can play a quick tune, play it pretty peppy and get through it, but if they slow down and do a waltz, and it kind of takes more control and more skill. And so they're looking for execution. They're looking for how authentic the tune is if you haven't drifted too far from the melody. And, uh, of course, good timing and those are predominantly the, the things they're wanting to hear and know overall a nice sound. So they judge them on points usually from 70 to 100 points. If I was judging somebody and they're playing and I thought their timing was off, then I would mentally click off that maybe a, a point against them, you know, if they missed a lick or something. Tell me about your first contest. Oh, my. I remember it well. I think I was 14. I had just been playing the fiddle about a year and... I could barely get through a fiddle tune, and <laughs> this will show you how subjective the contest judging is sometimes. Went out to a little town west of Fort Worth called Strawn, Texas, and Benny was there, and some of the great Texas fiddle players were there in that contest, and I won the contest. <laughs> oh, I was embarrassed to even walk up there and get that, but Benny was so gracious, he said, no. You won, you go up there and get the prize. That was just who he was and the kind of person he was. Nobody complained. All the fiddlers knew that I wasn't the best fiddler there. I could hardly even (laughs) play, but I was pretty happy. You won uh, quite a few contests. Won quite a few, and this is kind of interesting because back when I started, a big prize was $100. The first prize was $100. You were pretty excited. So I never won any huge amounts of money, but uh, that was kind of secondary to the thrill of winning the contest. There were quite a few you know, reporters. They were, it was kind of a novelty for me to be uh, playing the fiddle and uh, winning the contest, so the local newspapers were taking pictures and writing, writing stuff about it, which all those articles were collected by my mom and dad and uh, <laughs> kept in a scrapbook, which I still have. <laughs> You were the second fiddler in the history of the event to be undefeated three consecutive times. I was. My teacher, Benny, was the first one to do that. And uh, this this contest that we were in, which is called the World's Fiddle Festival, their rule was that after you won three times and you had to retire from competition for a while, and then you, had, you could come back and be a judge, but you couldn't compete again. So... Uh, after that, I had to put aside my competition. You couldn't compete again ever? That was the rule then. They changed that later. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so that later they changed it, and I went back and won it three more times in a row. Now they don't have that rule. You can... So, Jim, you're getting older now. Yes. With greater responsibilities. <laughs> it's true. And... Fiddling full-time becomes kind of difficult. You joined the Army. You worked for Southwest Airlines. You didn't stop playing, but you had to draw back. Oh, yes, I I did. And uh, I met the man who hired me at the airline through my fiddle. uh, How old were you then? I was uh, late 20s, early 30s. And you had been in the Army. I'd been in the Army, and uh, I'd worked at odd jobs. And then... uh, 
I met this man through his teaching his daughter how to play the fiddle, and he offered me a job in the airline business. And so, uh, as it turned out, I the first job I had was a customer relations director. I was the complaint person. <laughs> but I stayed with that for 20-some-odd uh, years and uh, raised my family. Now, when you were working at Southwest, were you, would you practice occasionally? Would you play at friends' houses, at parties? How would it work? There was always, you know, somebody wanting me to go play at a at some kind of a function. And as it turned out, there was a lot of opportunities within my company. I'd play for company parties, and so that worked out good because they were very supportive of my playing, and so uh, they'd use me whenever they had a had an opportunity. You took early retirement. Early and uh, retired in 2000 and uh, then started trying to compete more like I did and then I got pretty pretty active in the in the competitions for a few years and then uh, I realized that uh, it's probably time to let the youngsters take over and so I, I don't compete as much as I used to. You were also pretty instrumental in recording this music for the first time. I was. It probably goes back to my dad's interest in, in promoting the, you know, the commercial side of my plans because at that time you could go to a studio and record and, and we had these little uh, 45 RPM records that I made back in the 60s and those records really did get around the country. It was kind of interesting because I've talked to a lot of people that are now in the entertainment business who will tell me, well, I listened to your records when I was learning. And so it's kind of neat to hear that. There wasn't that many uh, fiddle players recording fiddle music then. All those old 45s I finally put on uh, CD now. People still ask, are you still having those singles? And I say, no, but I've got a CD. <laughs> so do you still practice? I do. I have a little studio now in, out in my barn. So I get out there and play my fiddle and, and try to keep my chops up. Okay, this is a completely unfair question, but how many tunes do you think you have in your head? Oh, I haven't a clue, but I know it's got to be hundreds, maybe thousands. And and the reason I say that is that I know tunes that I've never tried to play. You know, I, I, I hear that melody, and of course I play strictly by ear. I don't never learn how to read music. So... It's almost like if somebody will say, do you know this tune? And I'll probably say, no, I don't. But, you know, the old joke, hum a few bars and <laughs> I'll get it. But it is interesting how your mind will record something. So from that standpoint, maybe tunes that I've never played, but I still, oddly enough, I know them. But I did try to write down how many tunes I knew one time, and I I gave up after about four or 500. So. <laughs> Do you have a favorite fiddle? I do. I have a fiddle that I've had now for about 25 years that uh, a friend of mine gave me. It's not pedigreed, it's just an old fiddle, but it's it's one that I really like. Why is your favorite fiddle your favorite fiddle? The fiddle that I play now, I think it kind of matches my personality, and I'm uh, pretty uh, quiet as a rule, and uh, this fiddle is uh, it's kind of a... A gentle sound. It doesn't. It's not a bright and brashy sound. It has such a nice, warm tone that I can get all the little subtleties that I'm trying to get in my music, and it always comes through for me. So it's very responsive. <laughs> nice. Eck Robertson, somebody you collaborated with, somebody yeah. you played with. Tell us about him. 
Yes, Eck Robertson, some would say, is the, the father of country music because he made the first recording of fiddle music. And uh, like I say, some have saying, well, that was kind of the launch pad for country music as we know it now. But the story went that he came to New York and the studio of where the, uh, it wasn't RCA Victor, but something like that. He just walked in, barged into the studio and said, I'm, hello, I'm Eck Robertson and I'm here to record some fiddle music. He's so out front about it. He, uh, I guess they just said, oh, come on in then, you know. <laughs> And he recorded uh, Sally Gooden and Arkansas Traveler. And I believe he may have recorded it alone, just, just standing there in front of that microphone and playing it. He was he was quite a character. He was kind of like a uh, the old vaudeville entertainer, you know. He was all about entertainment. It was uh, He was a great player, but it was about entertaining. If you played a tune to Eck, he would usually stop you after you played a while and said, now let me play you the original. <laughs> I got the original on that, but I got to learn some great tunes from him. Is there a favorite tune that you have? My favorites have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. I'm really drawn to a lot of the simple old melodies now that I didn't use in the competitions. There's one that I like a lot now. There's actually two tunes that I play a lot. Uh, one of them is called Sugar in the Gourd, and I haven't recorded it yet, but uh, it's an old, old tune, real simple melody, but uh, real fun to play. And then the other one is Natchez Under the Hill, and that goes back to uh, Natchez, Mississippi, during the Civil War. I am I am kind of drawn to the more simple, primitive-sounding fiddle tunes now. What about waltzes? I love waltzes. My dad wrote a waltz called the Chancellor Waltz, I've played that a lot, and a lot of people have recorded that tune, and um, I'm happy for that. And I thought that's what we'd play. Oh, we'd play a little bit of it. I do, too. I do. I love the waltzes. And your dad wrote that. When did he write that? He must have written that maybe in the in the 60s because he wrote the basic melody and actually Benny participated in adding some, some embellishment to it. Benny should have some of the credit for that. He was so capable in taking a simple tune and making it a little fancy. <laughs> well, Jim, now you're teaching. You spend a lot of time teaching young fiddle players. Yes. I guess if you live long enough, you become a legend. (laughs) I have uh, quite a few people ask me to come and and teach, and uh, I enjoy meeting the young people. And uh, I'm like the the last connection to the Texas music greats, the Texas champions. 
And so uh, they asked me to do that, and uh, I like it. It's fine. And uh, I, I teach those students just like I learned, and that's just like I sit down with them note for note, and we just walk through the tunes until they get it by ear. I think it's better that way. You received a National Heritage Fellowship from oh, the National Endowment for the Arts. I was so excited about that. I just couldn't couldn't believe that. And uh, yes, tell me about that moment. You talked to Barry Barry Virgie. I talked to Barry, and luckily I was there to answer that call because that was great. And he told me that that I had won the award, and I was just uh, I was in shock. What a nice way to uh, commemorate my music. I'm so happy about that, and. Uh, my kids are just all to Twitter about it. <laughs> Literally, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Everyone was just so happy to see your name on that list. Oh, so many, many congratulations I, to you. I know. It's just wonderful. And, um, I'm so happy about that. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. That was 2010 National Heritage Fellow, Fiddler, Jim, Texas Shorty Chancellor. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts from Lonesome Fiddle Blues, Chancellor's Waltz, and Billy in the Low Ground from the album The Best of Texas Shorty, performed by and used courtesy of Texas Shorty. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, path-breaking choreographer Liz Lehrman. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.